0: Chapter 13 Going to the Source, the Suffering of Job Explain yourself. Job, at this point, is adamant. He demands to know the meaning of all of this. He is not convinced that what his friends are saying is true, and it appears he is not sure that he believes his own arguments either. Something just does not add up. He uses an old Hebrew oath to summon God before him. Quote, Withdraw thine hand far from me, and let not thy dread make me afraid. Then call thou, and I will answer, or let me speak, and answer thou me. How many are mine iniquities and sins? Make me to know my transgressions and my sins. Wherefore hidest thou thy face? and holdest me for thine enemy wilt thou break a leaf driven to and fro and wilt thou pursue the dry stubble for thou writest bitter things against me and makest me to possess the iniquities of my youth End quote. job chapter 13 verses 21-26 king james bible As one might imagine, God is not too impressed at being summoned by this mortal. He appears in a massive whirlwind and proceeds to tell Job that it is God who will do the questioning, not Job. He goes on to tell Job that he had better brace himself like a man. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. quote. Job thirty eight verses one three. King James Bible. God asks Job a few pointed questions. Where were you when I lay the earth's foundations? Who do you think set out its dimensions? Had Job ever given orders to the morning or shown dawn its place? Had he ever taken the earth by its corners and shaken the wicked off it? God even explains that the wicked are so loathsome to him that if they even dare extend their arm to his light, he will break it. He then goes on to ask Job if he has walked the recesses of the deep or whether he has seen the gates of the deepest darkness, and if Job even knows the way to the light, or where the deepest darkness resides, God goes on in this vein for quite a while, as if to draw the line for Job and his friends about what they should think when they try to understand God. The imagery and words written on behalf of God in this story describe a creator who is as much occupied with the realm of light and the company of the seraphic in its illumination of the world as he is in dealing with all that is dark and chthonic in his workings in the realm of the dark. The mechanics of all of this are unfathomable to us mere mortals, and each aspect can bring us either healing or harm, without needing to explain or justify itself to us. Floods, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, comets, none of these things need to explain themselves to us, or, as it turns out, need to have been done for some higher cause. For good measure, God even throws in some astrology into the mix. Quote, canst thou bind the sweet influences of the Pleiades, or loose the bands of Orion? Canst thou bring forth Mazaroth in his season, or canst thou guide Arcturus with his sons? Knowest thou the ordinance of heaven? Canst thou set the dominion thereof in the earth? Quote. Job 38 verses 31-33 King James Bible. In his lambasting of Job, he confirms that it is not for humans to even try to understand him, that when we talk about ourselves in relation to God, the idea of justice is completely flawed. We are not even in the same ballpark when it comes to measuring God in our trivial little concepts. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me, that thou mayest be righteous? Hast thou an arm like God, or canst thou thunder with a voice like Him? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellence, and array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath, and behold every one that is proud and abase him. Look on every one that is proud and bring him low, and tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together, and bind their faces in secret. Then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. End quote. Job chapter 40, verses 8-14. King James Bible. Our place in a scheme of godly proportions. It appears that what the God of the book of Job is communicating to us is that the universe wasn't set up around us. When we ask questions like, why did God do this or that, we are ultimately asking the wrong question. If we try to put the meaning outside of the event itself, we do not really get closer to any kind of truth. It is only by looking at the meaning within the situation that we may be able to do something about it. Questions like, why did this flood or mudslide happen, are better answered with statements like, because we did not build sufficient channeling for the water, or because we did not plan to deal with this contingency, or because we denuded the area of all the trees that were holding the soil together, etc., Job's God is basically telling us to get over ourselves and not get wrapped up in the hubris of self-important that assumes anything is cosmically directed at you personally. Perhaps the essence of God's diatribe to Job is that we are in fact asking the wrong questions. He says, quote, Where wast thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding, who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who lay the corner of stone thereof, when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth, as if it had issued out of the womb, when I made the cloud the garment thereof, and thick darkness a swaddling band for it, and break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto shalt thou come but no further, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. Job chapter 38, verses 4-11, King James Bible. He is saying that we were not there when the earth's foundations was laid. We do not even know how it works, so let's go and look there. We do not know its dimension, so let's go and look there. We do not even know on what laws its footings were set, so let's go and look there. If we do not ask these questions, we cannot know even the simplest reasons for things. Yet, in our arrogance, we want to question the greatest reason for things. It may be worth entertaining the idea then that perhaps science, which means to know, is not the enemy of God but be a way towards God in the Jobian understanding. The fact is that we are small in a vast universe and are subject to many forces that are out of our control. Yet we have the capacity to bring many of these forces within our control. However, we have to understand too that ultimately what we consider to be control may really only be significant to us in our existence on an infinitesimally tiny speck of a world in a vast churning cosmos. As disturbing as the view of life is in Job, a vision in which we are but spume in an ocean of being, we have to accept that that ocean, that vast incomprehensible pleroma out of which we rise and into which we will eventually merge, doesn't reward our egos, it just makes a space for them. Quote Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge therefore have i uttered that i understood not things too wonderful for me which i knew not here i beseech thee and i will speak i will demand of thee and declare thou unto me i have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear but now mine eye seeth thee wherefore i abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes End quote job Chapter 42, verses 1 to 6, King James Bible. So we come to the fifth and final stage of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief, acceptance. Along with it, the belief structures that we need to deal with any cognitive dissonance that we may have had. This raises the question, what is belief? A Brief on Belief Quote a casual stroll through the lunatic asylum shows that faith does not prove anything. End quote. Friedrich Nietzsche. It is not unreasonable to assert that all of that which we perceive as reality is constituted of belief. Even our sense of what we think we know is founded on beliefs. Belief, by definition, is the sense of assurance that we have about things. Including those things we have evidence for and those things that we do not. That assurance gives us a sense of certainty about stuff out there and the goings on inside of us. Belief then seems to act on a psychological level much like our physiological sense of proprioception, where all of the signals from our body tell us where it is we are and what it is we are doing in relation to maintaining equilibrium. Belief As a psychological orientation device functions as a module that attempts to balance the sense of self in relation to the entirety of existence in a manner of speaking. If this postulation is accurate, it may help to shed light on the fact that some people feel that their world has been turned upside down, or even right side up for that matter, when some important parts of their belief systems have been reconstituted. On solid ground, quote, If you stumble about believability, what are you living for? Love is hard to believe. Ask any lover. Life is hard to believe. Ask any scientist. God is hard to believe. Ask any believer. What is your problem with hard to believe? End quote. Jan Martel, Life of Pi. Beliefs add what seems to be concreteness to things that fall within their auspices. I am using the word auspices here with respect to its meaning as a divine or prophetic token, wherein the ancient Roman augurs would look at the flight of birds, specks, for the purpose of decrying omens. When the birds flew the right way, or in the right direction, all was well with the world. Should they fly the wrong way, then the signs were ominous indeed. The other meaning of auspices is that of protection and support. From these two ideas alone, when intersected with belief, we see that beliefs hold stewardship of our sense of order and predictability in the world, and that which is outside of the belief structure's rubric is to be defended against, sometimes defended at all costs too, because they fly in opposition to that which is sensical and can therefore only augur nothing but tumult and chaos. The sense of stability and security that the concretizing illusion of belief generates is readily apparent by the same degree of abomination, annihilation, disintegration, and non-existence that it applies to that which does not fit its scheme. Loves of our lives. Quote, if we don't believe in freedom of expression for people we despise, we don't believe in it at all. End quote. Noam Chomsky. The root of the tenaciousness with which we hold on to beliefs is evidenced to a certain extent in the roundabout etymology of the word believe itself and why belief by definition means that which we love and trust. Our English word love comes to us originally from the Proto-Indo-European word liber which meant caring, desiring and loving. This word lib was initially incorporated into Old High German as Gilubo, and it referred to that which was held dear or highly esteemed. Eventually, this word entered Old English as Galeifer, with the meaning shifting from love and esteem more towards trust and faith. And by the 12th century, morphology had played its part, and the word became Believ, and eventually evolved into our current words Believe and Belief. The word belief, as we know it today, then, at its core means to love. Interestingly, the component word lief is still used as it is in Afrikaans and Dutch, and means love. Even the German word for love, "liebe," holds to its ancient origins. This, of course, means that if we tell someone that their beliefs are wrong, we are saying that what they love is invalid, that in a sense they should break up with their most cherished, and trusted life partner. Little surprise that people take umbrage, and sometimes violently so, in others meddling in their love life. A Safe Haven Quote, success is most often achieved by those who don't know that failure is inevitable. End quote. Coco Chanel, Believing in Ourselves, the Wisdom of Woman We tend to use our beliefs as a refuge from the assaults of an otherwise chaotic and random world to create a sense of order and control within our lives. The process of belief generation results in a couple of preconditions that allow us to take action in the world. Belief presents the believer with a sense of agency because it predisposes the agent to an assumption that not only the agent exists, but that the world around it does too. To have a belief presupposes that there is something in existence able to generate opinions about itself, as well as about the environment, so beliefs in this respect are self-affirming, and for the self to exist it must somehow be assumed to be resident in something. This sense of residency then acts to confirm that the environment must too exist on some level. Further to this, our beliefs indicate to us how we should behave in certain situations, as well as what the outcomes of those behaviors will be. If this is true for us, it must be true for other agents out there. Whatever it is that they believe about themselves will determine what they believe about the world, and if I know what those beliefs are, I can then predict what they are going to do and how I am going to react. This view is what is known as intentional stance and was coined by the philosopher and acclaimed autodidact Daniel Dennett. Quote, here is how it works. First you decide to treat the object whose behavior is to be predicted as a rational agent. Then you figure out what beliefs that agent ought to have given its place in the world and its purpose. Then you figure out what desires it ought to have on the same considerations. And finally, you predict that this rational agent will act to further its goals in the light of its beliefs. A little practical reasoning from the chosen set of beliefs and desires will in most instances yield a decision about what the agent ought to do. That is, what you predict the agent will do. End quote. Daniel Dennett, Intentional Stance. What this means is that our entire belief system, regardless of its content, is a mental function employed to position us within a prediction simulation. If the simulation is correct, its sequence and outcomes will be reflected in reality. A problem sometimes happens when we fall in love with the simulation, even if it's wrong, because we may have felt so good in the simulated state. We want it to be right so much that we erroneously retreat into the simulation and end up in self delusional denial about that which is really happening around us. Why I say that it is sometimes a problem is because I have encountered executives of very successful global brands who express the opinion that it is that very act of self-delusion that others call vision. The head of one company once told me when I inquired of him how he had managed to beat all of the competition out of a very niche market, quote, you have to cultivate a healthy delusion that what you're going to do is going to work, because if you consult the facts, that is, the competition dominates the market, my product is currently irrelevant, nobody knows what it is, etc., you will probably fail, end quote. People's beliefs do not need to be true. For the beliefs to tell us the truth, though, for whatever is believed, even if it poorly informs the holder, still informs us richly about the believer, if we take a good long look.